helps us understand what God did. He sent his son. Let me say it again. John helps us understand what God did. He sent his son. Now, one of the keys to hermeneutics, that is the proper methods to studying the Bible, one of the keys to hermeneutics is to look for repetition. We want to see things that's repeated. Sometimes it's a phrase. Sometimes it's just a word. Uh, sometimes it's more of a concept. But we're always to look for repetition. When we see that repetition, it helps us to understand Scripture better. Uh, because because as we see that repetition, it gives us a, a, a more robust understanding of what's being addressed. So with that in mind, in this case, I want to give you the word to listen for. Uh, we're going to read through the scriptures, and the word that's going to be repeated is the word manifested or manifest. We're going to see those words. We're going to see that repeated over and over and over again. So let's flip back to 1 John chapter 3. And let's pick right back up at verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested, there it is, that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Now, let's just pause there just for a moment. What John does is John gives us one of the reasons that Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world uh, and he revealed, he was manifested, it was made known why he came into the world. And as we, as we begin to celebrate this Christmas season, it's important for us to remember, why did he come? Well, right here it is in scripture. And you know that he was manifested or made known to do what? To take away our sins. To take away our sins. That's number one. Why did Jesus come in the world? The scripture is super clear here. He's saying that he came into this world, he took on flesh, he was incarnated into this world. Why? Because he wants to take away our sins. So as we think about it, it wasn't to establish a good moral system of works or anything along those lines. His, his purpose in coming to be manifested in our midst, to come in the flesh, is to, is to take away our sins. John says that he came to take away our sins, but notice this, Jesus didn't have his sin, sin himself. It says he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So anyone who wants to say, ah, Jesus was sinful or Jesus did things, you know, no, the scriptures are super clear. There's, there's no, no skirting around it. As you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there, there is no sin. Now let's keep reading. Verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen nor known him. Now let's pause again. The key word here to understanding this passage is the word abide. It says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Now you might read that and go, oh no, I'm in trouble, right? Uh, you know, what do you mean? Uh, you know, if, if I abide in him, I'm never going to sin again? No, 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 that's not what it's saying. Again, we have to understand that the key word here for understanding this particular verse and understanding it in context and in the context of the whole of scripture, the key word is abide. Here's what I mean by that. We cannot abide in God and then at the same time abide in sin. 
We have a we have a choice to make. So whoever mm-hmm. abides in Him, they're not going to what abide in sin. Uh, it, it's a choice. Who are you going to develop a relationship with? Are you going to develop a relationship with sin, or are you going to develop a relationship with God? So it's important to understand that the key word here is abide. We cannot abide in God and then at the same time choose to abide in sin. Well, what is exactly abiding in sin? Well, that's this habitual, unrepentant, unremorseful. uh, You don't see anything wrong with it. Going right back to it, even indulging in sin. Now, keep in mind, who is John writing to? He's writing to Christians who have been... Uh, taught uh, some false teaching called Gnosticism. What is one of the premises, uh, false teachings of Gnosticism? That is the uh, in, indulgence in sin. No, no big deal. Everything that is a physical matter is sinful anyway. So they're, they're, they're kind of directing people to abide in sin rather than abiding in God. And Paul is saying, listen, you can't have it this way. You're either going to abide in him, and if you do so, you're not going to abide in sin. You're going to have to make a choice. So let's pick back up verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now, again, what is he doing? He's saying, look, Notice this, uh, if you practice righteousness, you are abiding in the Lord. And the righteousness that you are going to display is not your own, but it's going to be the righteousness of Christ. Or the contrast is what? Abiding in sin. He says, he who sins is of the devil. So if you're going to abide in sin, you are not a, you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. And then look at this, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. There it is again, the the word manifested. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we're given the second reason that Christ came in the flesh and dwelt in our midst. The first one is to take away the sin of the world. The second reason is that he might destroy the works of the devil. What a beautiful picture that we're seeing and understanding now of the, you know, very explicitly in scripture, why Jesus came into the world. He came into the world, to take away our sin. Number two, destroy the works of the devil. Now let's consider this. In Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that verse is known as the proto-evangelium. The proto-evangelium, what is, what is the proto-evangelium? Well, the proto-evangelium means the first gospel. It's the first appearance of the gospel in scripture. It essentially says this, that Satan is going to bruise the heel of Jesus. And at the same time, Jesus is going to crush Satan's head. Satan is going to bruise the heel of Jesus, and Jesus is going to crush the head of Satan. Now, if you think about it, I want you to understand one of these is temporary. It's a temporary wound. When Satan bruises the heel of Jesus, that's a temporary wound. However, a crushing of the head is not a temporary wound. That is a fatal wound. It is the, it is the destruction 
of Satan himself. So why did Jesus come into the world? He is going to fulfill the gospel, the first, the first announcement of the gospel that was found in Genesis 3.15. This is the prophecy uh, in Genesis 3 where God is, is sharing, Adam, this is going to happen to you as a punishment uh, because of the fall. Eve, this is going to happen to you. And Satan, this is going to happen to you. So the writing's on the wall now for Satan. Satan is going to uh, have his head crushed. He is going to be defeated. Now, when do we see that in history? When did Jesus accomplish this? He came into the world, it says. Uh, he manifested himself to destroy the works of the devil. He did this on the cross. Those who study uh, the cross and crucifixions know that uh, when you're when you're being crucified, one of the things that uh, that uh, Jesus and others that were crucified experienced was the difficulty to breathe, and because it's so, and that and that's usually what they end up dying from is their inability to breathe. And what they'll do is they often have to push themselves up. Uh, by the heels, they're 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 nailed to the cross. Their feet are nailed to the cross, and they often have to push on their heels in order to lift themselves up, so that their lungs can be filled with air. And as they push themselves up, they continually bruise their heel. And what we see is this is a picture of the proto-evangelium. It's a picture of the gospel that Jesus. His heel was bruised upon the cross as he would lift himself up to breathe. But at the same time, while Jesus was on that cross, he was destroying uh, the works of the devil. He had crushed his head. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. Let's pick back up at verse 9. So whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin. Because he has been born of God. Now again, we're get, we're getting to the same concept here. How do we look at this? Same thing as earlier with the idea of uh, of abide. He's saying the two are not compatible with one another. If you're born of God, uh, then you're not going to you're not going to choose to do things uh, that are. Uh, just being born of this world that that you should be choosing the things of God. Now look at verse ten. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. There's the word again. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So what's, what's going on here? Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. And Jesus came to define what it means to be a child of God. He came to make a demarcation, to make, to make it clear. These are children of God. These are not. Can I say something that might even be worthy of cancel culture? We are not all God's children. You might say, wait, what? Are we? We're all God's children, right? Listen, we're not all God's children. We are his creation. We are all his creation. We have all been created in his image, but we are not his children until we have been adopted into the family of God. We are only his children when we accept Christ as our savior, and then we are adopted into the family of God. Let's look at verse 11. 
For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, let me pause just for a moment. You know, as I look at this verse, uh, I don't think it's just a a coincidence. Uh, In fact, I would suggest that there are no coincidences within Scripture. God has divine purpose in his word. And while the chapters and numbers are not divinely inspired, let's consider an important detail. I want us to consider what we just read, 1 John 3.16, and the relationship that it has with John 3.16. John 3.16 reminds us that God loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. I want you to hear that. And now look again at 1 John 3, 16. Listen to the correlation here. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It's one of the correlations of of Scripture that it is because God so loved us that he sent Jesus. And then we flip over to 1 John 3, 16, and it says, because Jesus laid down his life just as we have seen throughout the scripture and the gospel then we also ought to do the same and lay down our lives for the brethren 